As we move closer to the festive period, the guys at Rewind the Movies decided to do another set of Christmas films, and we'll start it off by looking at Trading Places. It's a 1983 American comedy film directed by John Landis, and starring Dan Aykroyd, Eddie Murphy, and of course Jamie Lee Curtis. The film tells the story of an upper-class commodities broker, Dan Aykroyd, and a poor street hustler, Eddie Murphy, whose lives crossed when they are unwittingly made the subject of an elaborate bet to test how each man will perform when their life circumstances are swapped. The film is often praised as one of the greatest comedy films and Christmas films ever made, but retrospective assessments have criticised its use of racial jokes and language. But almost 40 years after its release, what did the guys think at Rewind the Movies? Anyway, here's the episode. On this podcast, I'm joined by... Um, James Brigada, J.K. Prog, and Evan Quick. And we were hopeful of Adam Flewellen from the Vader Cartoon joining us, but Adam um, couldn't make it. And it's a bit of a disappointment because I know he wanted to delve into Dan Aykroyd's character, specifically around some of the language that's used. And I want to say now, as a disclaimer, I want to talk about this film, and I don't want to like necessarily gloss over the language that's used but we gotta remember that it did come out at a time where some of this was deemed to be acceptable at no point am i saying that the racial and the homophobic slurs that do come out of this film are any way acceptable they're not but i do think if you started focusing so much on them you would detract from the rest of the film i'm gonna say i'm gonna jump on the back of that and I'm going to say one thing those slurs are indicative of their characters in the film mm-hmm. so what, as far as I'm concerned watching it again when they say that stuff it just adds to the fact that they're twats yeah yeah exactly they're, you've not, got... like, they're not likeable characters no you've got Mortimer and his brother, I can't remember. Randolph. Randolph, right? And they're of a culture where they deemed, or they're of a society, um, yeah, society, which they deem they're above everyone else because they've got money, because they've... Especially black people. Yeah, exactly. And they they definitely look down on black people. And that is rubbed off onto Dan Aykroyd's character. Yeah, I mean, and also, he's he's probably been born with a silver spoon in his mouth, as have the majority of them. I mean... Exactly. You can tell by that country club scene. I mean, that is wincing. Uh, the song, the song. I mean, you. I laughed at that scene just because of how cheesy those people or characters are. Yeah, no, definitely. Anyway, I just wanted to start with that. That, um, no, I, I don't think any of us agree with the language that's used. But Prague is right. They are you know, part of that character and part of that time as well. So no doubt we will get into it at some point. But, I, yeah, I wanted a bit of a disclaimer before we started this. And I'll start with my memories of this film. I don't have a lot of memories. And I think it's... um The film itself... It, what, when did it come out? 83? 83, 84? 83, I think it was. Um you know, we would have been quite young. So the time it would have been on TV, mid-80s, later 80s, um, it definitely wouldn't have been a film that we would have seen, I don't think, in the 80s. Boobs, language, like I said, racial and homophobic um, slurs. Um, it was definitely a film that I don't really remember growing up. But I probably did see it in my teens, and I have that memory of it being... You know that the game, you know, to try and take someone and build them up. But it's funny; I don't remember that it going the other way, and I don't remember them trying to make Dan Aykroyd commit crime and things like that. I only remember them trying to do um, the bit to, to Eddie Murphy to try and get him to a point where he can, you know, trade and things like that. But ultimately, yeah. it's called trading places, so I should have put two and two together. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, I've rambled on enough. Um, memories, Prog, for you? Yeah, I mean, I used, I think I watched this quite a lot when I was growing up. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I watched it when I was particularly young, like you. Uh, like you said, you didn't either. But um, once I saw it once, I think I saw it a few times. So, and 
I always enjoyed it. Of course, when you're younger, you don't. I, I had no idea of the magnitude of the bet or anything like that. What I was watching it for was the the comedic performances and the the funny set pieces for what are they? You know, and I gotta say, I love Eddie Murphy in a comedy film when he's given a good role. I think he's brilliant. But Dan Aykroyd is such a good comedy actor. I think he's incredibly underrated. Everyone goes on about Bill Murray in Ghostbusters and um, James Belushi in Blues Brothers and... John Belushi. Jim Belushi. John John Belushi, sorry. sorry, Jim Jim Belushi's his brother. Um, And Dragnet, people go on about Tom Hanks. You know, and rightly so, because those are big performances. But I said, Dan Aykroyd, I just think he's so understated sometimes. His mannerisms just crack me up. When he's in the right film, I know we've spoken about Great Outdoors previously, but I would put Trading Places up there as a comedic performance for Dan Aykroyd. And I think we said it before, he plays like a pompous, someone who thinks he's better than other people type Mm. of character really well. Yeah, it, it's it's funny that you mentioned that mentioned that because I, I, I was I was a big fan of fan of his whilst well, still am. But it's like, um, correct us if I'm wrong, and some someone probably can on social media if you want. But there was um, there was like a it's sort of like a Canadian movement of Saturday Night Live, and he him along with Rick Moranis and John Candy were the were the three main main actors to come out of that. I think. You know, and it's no, it's it's no surprise in that 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 they're all brilliant and have brilliant brilliant film roles behind them. Uh, so, what's your memories of the of the film, Mav? Um, well, I, I I don't remember watching it until I was probably mid-teens. I think I only got I only got got wind of it because of Dan Aykroyd and the Blues Brothers, because because obviously it was made by made by the same person. And I watched the Blues Brothers a lot when I was a kid. Um, yeah, it, it was one of one of my go-to films. Another one that my grandma had on tape. Um, so yeah, it was it, it sort of progressed from that to Great Outdoors, and then you know branching out into like John Candy films, like Who's Harry Crumb, and um, uh, another one called Volunteers that John Candy did with Tom Hanks, um, and you know going into this one. Um, yeah, and it was just, it was just because of Dan Aykroyd, really. I'm trying. I'm trying to think if this was the first Dan Aykroyd film I watched, because I don't oh. think I watched Ghostbusters. Yeah, mine, mine would have been Ghostbusters. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. It must. I because I, I think I remember. I know we we've done Ghostbusters already, but I think I said that I'd seen the, the cartoon first. Uh, do you know what? I'm no. I'm I'm going off on one there. It's de- I definitely saw Ghostbusters before Trading Places, but I think I was then interested in trading places because of Ghostbusters. Here's a question for you. Do you think, growing up, you would have watched a VHS copy, you know, an original copy, or you would have watched a TV version of this? And the reason I ask that is I wonder if it was heavily edited. And I I don't know the answer, but I don't remember as many boobs being in it, and I don't remember as much language in in the versions that I saw. I think I watched it on TV and I definitely remember the boobs. Same, yeah. I definitely remember the party scene and him going up to the bedroom and finding the woman in his bed. And, of course, I remember Jennifer... Uh, sorry, um, Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, I had to laugh, right? Because when I was watching this, I, again, I, I probably haven't got the greatest memory for this film and I've got the greatest memory full stop, as everyone knows. Um, and I, I just chuckled at loads of different bits... And one of them was the, the the scene where he goes upstairs and the woman just gets her breasts out and they are they they're a, sto- um, a showstopper. Let's put it that way. You're like Jesus Christ, where did they come from? And then he goes downstairs and like people are just getting naked. Well, well women are getting topless. Yeah. And I made a note and I was like, I've never been invited to a party where people just start getting topless. <laughs> Not even in uni, but not even in uni. That party scene where they start to take it, I I'd actually forgotten about the party scene 
and, until it was happening. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this. I know what's going to happen now. As soon as that first woman was dancing and taking her top, and she took her top off and continued dancing, I was laughing just because of the running gag that we have about 80s films having to show boobs. Because if there's ever an unnecessary boob shot in a film, it's in traded places. In the later shot of the um, of the the black the black woman dancing, the first the first um, the first woman who who exposes herself. There's another one just just beside her, but like comparing the two, she's like she's just like really robotic, and say like that like the black woman's like really getting into the into the move, like way you know. Oh, she's doing some body around. flexing, and she, but oh, the, yeah, the, the other woman, the littler one, she's just like rolling her shoulders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so unnecessary. I'm, I'm gonna say it now, right? Even G, Jamie Lee Curtis getting naked, there's no need for it. Nah, I know she's a prostitute and everything in it, but yeah, don't get me wrong, right? She's in fantastic shape and she's a very good looking woman, and I appreciate that she got her boobs out for us. But there's no need for it. Uh, there's I, no I, need for it at no, all. What are you laughing at, Ev? I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just trying to find out which which bit is, is in no need, because obviously she, you, you know, she strips off twice. Well, the, both bits she doesn't well, need. Well, I, I know, yeah. yeah. Um, but also, right, she's just met Dan Aykroyd, hasn't she? Yeah. And, and I, Yeah, she just met him. And yes, okay, she's a prostitute, but that, sh- that doesn't mean anything. She would still have, you know, she still wouldn't want to get naked in just fr- in front of a stranger, surely. I was thinking about this a little bit, and it's like, I know she's got this long-term plan for uh, Winthorpe. Like, if he turns out to be who he is, then she's going to reap the benefits, as it were. But she does, you can't trust him straight away. I mean, he's going, he's saying all this stuff and wherever he goes and takes it, it's not proven yeah. true, is it? No. And she, she's the main hero in the film because without, without her, he's he's done for. He's, you know, yeah. he, he's not coming back from He's that. on the street. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, know, I do wonder where's his, where's his parents. But, yeah. Yeah, he's, he doesn't seem to have any family around him. He's yeah. picking nets on him, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, and yeah. also, I I know we're doing it all. We're we're doing it already, picking holes in the film. But the time scale of what's happening and how quick it happens is just beyond yeah. me. But of course, that's if you want to sit down and actually think through the movie. But you know, it's a comedy, so are you supposed to? I gotta ask you something. Is is do you think this is a Christmas film? Yes, because we're doing it as a Christmas film. But do you think it's a Christmas film? Yeah, I I think it comes down to your definition of a Christmas film. So it's either a film which is set at Christmas time, which this is, or the the other like Christmas type of film that something happened. You know, Santa is in it, or mm-hmm. you know, there's definitely something based around the, the the family at Christmas time. And it isn't the second one, but it is definitely based. Mm-hmm. At Chris, you know, at Christmas time, right? Because I, I regard it as a Christmas film, just like because it's set the Christmas, just like Home Alone is, Die mm. Hard is. When you think about Home Alone, everyone says, "Oh, that's a quintessential Christmas film." But if you took Christmas out of Home Alone, you'd still have Home Alone. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It doesn't mean it's not a Christmas film, though. Well, yeah, and as you know, and I said when we did Home Alone last year that. Home Alone is my Christmas film because it's what I watch every year. Yeah, and I, you know, I must have had it for like Christmas one year on VHS and just constantly watched it. No, well, I have um, I have a set of like five or six Christmas films which I have to watch all the time, all the time every year, and it's this is in it along with Home Alone, Scrooged, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Muppets Christmas Carol, and The Great Escape. The Great Escape. <laughs> isn't it funny how some films, like The Great Escape, which isn't a Christmas film, I don't no. think. No, it's correct not. Me, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was always on the Christmas, wasn't it? Yeah. And that's why you associate yeah. it with Christmas. And I have a similar one with Hook. And I'm, I'm pretty sure we, we said that before, that for me, I, I love to watch Hook at Christmas time. And also, don't forget, you know, World's Strongest Man. That's, you know, you know Christmas is... And the darts. 
Well, I was going to say it's the darts for me because Christmas oh. is just finishing. Darts has yeah. just started. Yeah, darts is the new year thing. Yeah, going into the new year. Yeah. Right, moving on to favorite aspect. I, I'll start, and I'm pretty sure both of you will have elements of this. But for me, Dan, um, Eddie Murphy, and Dan Aykroyd, I think both mm. of them are brilliant in it. I've gone for the cast as a whole because I think all the performances are good. Even, even like the even like the little bit parts, like um, like the the two um, the two guys that he meet, that he meets in jail. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you know and, what they wrote? Do you know what their characters are called? Oh, isn't isn't it like black, black man and big black man or something? This big black guy and even bigger black guy. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. so badly dubbed as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I got I got mentioned the cameos throughout, throughout the film as well. First, first cameo, and I didn't I, I didn't realise who it was until watching it for, for this podcast. Um one of the one of the cellmates when when Eddie Murphy's doing his karate routine. Um and, <laughs> I you know, laughed my yeah. head off of that bit. Yeah. Um, but um it's um for any Breaking Bad fans out there, it's uh, Giancarlo Esposito yeah. uh, who plays Gus Fring. He's um, he's the cellmate nearest the camera on the left. Yeah, he's up. He's up against the uh, cell door, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I never realised that until until today when I watched it. Oh, well, well, it's funny going through the film because I haven't watched it for a few years now. But going through the film and you know, after having watched numerous films since. Like Frank Oz is in there. Yeah, yeah. it's a John Landis film, though, isn't it? He was bound to be in there. Yeah. That's true, yeah. You see, like, old SNL uh, comedians and actors in there as well. And I know it's mm. a, like it's an SNL vibe, so it's, they're going to have those sorts of people in there. But yeah, it's, it, it was wild watching it again and seeing. Did you? Did and, you? Um... And Marcus Brody. Yes, well, Dan O'Malley. Yeah. yeah, but he's yeah, yeah. brilliant. Isn't he? I, he's not really a cameo. I know he, he oh. you know, he, he's a, he plays a character. He's, but it took me ages to work out who he was. Mm. I was just like, is he yeah. the guy who's Magnum PI's butler or whatever his name is? Um, Higgins. Oh, Higgins. I was like, is it Higgins? And I was like, no, it's not him. And I was like, oh, of course, it's Marcus. Got lost in his own museum. Yeah. <laughs> Did you notice the the cameo and when when they when Eddie Murphy invites everyone back to the to the house for for the party? Go on. Um, the if you watch it again when he's when he's going into the room, there's a there's a guy in a blue shirt that walks walks past him with a cap. Um, Lawrence Fishburne. Ah, uh, all right, yeah. okay. I yeah. didn't notice that. No, a young mm. Lawrence Fishburne. Going back to the. What you were saying, though, I think it's such a well-cast film on the whole. Mm. And I th- I think Jamie Lee Curtis, putting Jamie Lee Curtis in that role. Can I say something now? Everyone goes on about Julia Roberts as the hooker with a heart of gold in Pretty Woman. Jamie Lee Curtis did it years before her. But she doesn't get any sort of notoriety mm. about it. Why? Just because she did it in an out-and-out comedy rather than a romantic comedy like Pretty Woman. But do you think also it's a little bit grittier, isn't it, than Pretty Woman? Pretty Woman mm. glamorizes to a certain degree prostitution. Jamie Lee Curtis gets her taddy bojangles out. You know, I've never heard you call them that before. <laughs> Is it taddy and bojangles? Taddy or... bojangles. Well, one's called taddy and one's called bojangles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so almost... Tad, is Taddy the one on the left? Is it as you're looking at him? However, however you want it to be. Right, okay. <laughs> That's a whole new meaning of the song Mr. Bojangles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and his mate Tatty. I can't remember what you're talking about. Yeah, pretty woman. So this is grittier because it gets his boobs out. And for that very reason, I think um, it's not as mainstream. I, I, what I like through the film as well is how they pay the characters off. Mm. So they they almost become uh, comedy duos through the film. So you've, you've got the Duke brothers who are there throughout the film and obviously they are rancid human beings and they, they're awful. But you get 
Billy Ray Valentine and Coleman, because of where Valentine's come from, he, he shows empathy to Coleman. And of course, you can see that Coleman likes Valentine. But then you've also got the, the duo of Winthorpe and Ophelia. But then right at the end of the film, then you've got the duo that you thought you were going to get through the film, which is Winthorpe and Valentine. Yeah, And I just like how they play those dynamics because, of course, when you look at the cover of the film or the posters, you think it's going to be Ackroyd and Murphy together through most of the film, but it's not. It's only until the end, really, isn't it? The last maybe yeah. like quarter of it. But, you still, but what I like is you're still kind of invested in the characters, even though they're not a comedy duo for most of the film. Why are we talking about comedy duo? I got a theory, and this is a far-out theory. Oh, right? with a capital F, or...? Yeah, theory. <laughs> <laughs> that Randolph and Mortimer are not brothers, and they're lovers. What? How, how do you get that? I thought you were going to say they don't look like each other. Well, well, well <laughs> they don't. So the film started, and, I, and it wasn't until later in the film that they are referred to as brothers... Mm. But I was thinking, wait a minute now, why do they live in the same house? And then, you know, they had the same surname, so I was just like, okay, are they part of that? But then I was thinking, it's the 80s, they're not going to be um, portrayed of that. But anyway, I think only one of them is a true, um, what, what, what's their surname? Duke? Yeah. They, they married, or they, they're together, and and they say that, that you know they're brothers. Have you gone down a rabbit hole on YouTube or something? And this is a theory that's been spat out. No, no, this is this is nothing to do with anyone else's theory. This is my theory. That they, okay. they aren't brothers, they are lovers. So you think they're living in sin because this is the 80s and they're hiding it? Yeah. <laughs> it's only a theory. I don't think that at all, because I don't uh, think there's any evidence I... to it, but I don't know where to go from that, to be honest. I know. Isn't it funny? <laughs> this is supposed to be a comedy film, and we haven't spoken once about the comedy in the film yet. <laughs> and, and, and on that note, I was going to say, I quite like the, the, the start of the film, how it, how it portrays every, it's it, sort of every walk of life, that it keeps crossing back to sort of, you know, the rich way of life and, and then the working class where the people getting off the tra- getting off the the train you know to go to work and then you've got like the you know the people waiting in line at the job center and you know th- things like that it gets all all around all walks of life until it gets to um you know dan Aykroyd in his you know silver spoon oh he's such yeah. a tosser and he when he do you know when he walks yeah. out of the house and he waits by the car until yeah. Coleman opens the door for him. I was sitting there, I was thinking, oh, you twat, like, can't you yeah. get in that car yourself? Yeah, he, he's instantly dislikable, mm. isn't he? Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't live, I couldn't live like that, having someone like bring me breakfast and just, you know, wake, wake myself up. I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'm sure you could have. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got another point to make about Dan Act, right? And how oh, here we go. does he he's wake the Duke's up? Son. No, 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 well, I, I got to go back to the Dukes for a moment, actually. The other question I had is they call what, um, what, what's the, the, the their granddaughter called? Penelope. Pen- Penelope, right? Yeah. Penelope. So, um, they say this is our granddaughter, Penelope. Grandniece. Are they? I thought it was granddaughter. Grandniece. Oh, okay. That, so then, that, that implied that they had a sister or brother that. Was Penelope's grandfather? Yeah. Well, yeah. So then that, um, yeah, that 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 bit of my theory goes out the window then, because I thought they said our granddaughter, and I was thinking, how can they both be their her grandfather? Oh, this is where your couple theory comes in. Then is it? You were going to go back. It was hanging by that minuscule thread. No, and that, and now, now you've got this. You've got the scissors and gone chop. And it's gone. But they also live together. It's that who live. When you were like 70 years old, are you going to live with your brother? Just you two? R- randomly on your own? Well, I don't know. Maybe. I'd probably still be single then, so... 
you know, they, they don't want to share share the money with anyone. So that's why that's why they're living living on well, their own with, with each other. Let me put this to you, right? They're of the age. I reckon in the film they're they're in their seventies, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you were poor and you were in your seventies, there's every chance you'd be in a home, an old okay. people's home. So they would have been living together in an old people's home. It just so happens that they've got enough money to have their own home, but they've still got the staff to work for them. So, yeah. who knows? No, we know they're brothers. They don't. <laughs> they're lovers. <laughs> Right, moving on from that bit, because I know I'm not going to convince you of my theory. He's, he's going he's to be on, on, on anonymous forums later on tonight. Did you know that Randolph and Mortimer had an affair when he's they were younger? He's going to set up several different accounts just so he can have conversations <laughs> with John Landis said that they're lovers, not brothers. <laughs> That's above their bed. Lovers, not brothers. Um, right, so the, the point I was trying to make before this is how late does Dan Aykroyd get up? Because you have a bit of a montage at the beginning, don't you? And you have people, I think, go into sign-on or whatever they do in America mm. as regards to unemployment. And, and the clock is, I think, 25 to or 20 to 9. Mm. And then it pans to Dan Aykroyd um, being woken up by Coleman um, with his breakfast. And then he has, like, I don't know, Coleman does about a million and one things for him obviously he gets into a car he then gets driven to work so it's, it's like one how late does he wake up and two what time does he actually start work because right. the market's open at nine o'clock yeah i i'm what could but i'm one but his job is to look at the fluctuations in the market isn't it so i don't think he would do anything even if he got in a nine when the market's open i took it from his job I mean, we don't even know what his job is, to be honest, but I took it from his job that he wouldn't be buying or selling straight away. It's to do with what's happening during the day. So I was thinking that maybe he starts working about 10 because the Dukes were getting driven in after him. So what time are they going in? They could have, well, it's just that montage, I think, throws everything out. In theory, yes, he is probably starting well before the the... I don't know, the market's there's, open. There's nothing to say. That's, that montage as well, it, it was over the opening credits, wasn't it? So there's nothing to say that he's not... In, his is a, the same time. It's just shown differently, that's all. Yeah. And of, also, I'll go back to it. It's a comedy film. I don't think we're meant to be talk, uh, thinking about it too much. No, I, I know. I know. Just, I just love throwing a little pedantic <laughs> um, point in there. Can I, can I just say, uh, I reckon anyone listening to this, they might not know whether we like the film or not, yeah? Wow. Just keep it, mis- keep it mysterious until the end. <laughs> keeps, keeps, people, keeps people in. We, we've talked about favourite aspect. Any mentions before we move on? But I think you're right, Prog. The casting as a whole are brilliant. I do, I do like the way, on the whole, the characters are written. And the dynamics are written as well. I do. I do think there's uh, there's a lot to say for that. Um, yes, we've already touched on some of the problematic uh, language that's used, but again, for the most part, I think it's inherent in the characters that they're portraying. So, you know, I mean, they jumped up twats, and they with this looking down their nose at certain people in life so it's not you know favorite scene then i'm gonna start and i love the more or less the opening scene that you have with eddie murphy specifically the bit where he gets lifted out of the the tray or whatever he's in by the coppers and he goes i have legs (laughs) and that entire sequence then to to the point where he hits into dan Aykroyd's character right okay Uh, um i i just think it's that typical Eddie Murphy sort of performance, high energy, it's, it's quick off the tongue. Uh, I don't know if any of it was ad-libbed, but you know it, it has the, the, the feeling that some of it may have been. And it's just, again, Eddie Murphy, I think, in his prime. The, the, bit, the bit just before that I, I find really funny, when he's trying to, when he's trying to chat up the woman. 
And he's yeah. like, we can work, baby. Me and you. <laughs> Bitch. <laughs> well, yeah, he went full Sully on her, didn't he? Sully yeah. from Commando. Where he's just like trying to chat up women and the next minute he's like, Bitch. <laughs> I uh, I like that bit because I like the way he just slides off on the on the board and he's not in control of it. He just lets it ride. But um, I I I love the karate bit in the cell as well. He sort of doesn't back down against those big dudes as well either, does he? Because yeah. I thought like he'd say he knows karate and then I don't know they end up putting him in a corner tied up or something, but he's like trying to follow through with it. And the bit where he's talking about that, he um, was taught by Bruce Lee. Hi! He said, the karate man bruises inside. (laughs) I've forgotten about that bit. (laughs) Yeah, even get the the guys on the the bench next to him involved as well. Because like when they they say that, oh, you're waiting for for your bitches or something. And then then, then he goes to to the books in beside him and he's like, didn't I tell him that my limousine was was outside? And then the other guy goes, yeah, what are you, an idiot? He told you that ages ago. <laughs> yeah. I love the, uh, this time I was, I really enjoyed Winthorpe eating the fish on the bus. Oh, I love that. That's my, that's my favourite. Just, ju- just for the, just for the fact that he, that at that point he just do- doesn't give a fuck about it. You know, he's, he's hitting rock bottom there and, it, and it's, and it's like, you know, eat, eating hairy salmon on on a it's, on a bus. It's so it's so grim. It's yeah. so grim that it's funny. I also right. I laughed because I was thinking to myself, look at the way he's taken that fish. Not only has he stolen a whole fish, so he's <laughs> he's stinking right. He's he's absolutely minging with the smell of this fish and and the juices of the fish. But the way that he tries to take it out of his Santa Claus jacket through the beard, rather than moving the beard to the side and taking the fish out so he can actually, you know, for want of a better word, enjoy it. You're right. He's just given up and he's like, it's fish and beard. I'm eating the lot. And then that last bit where the people are looking at him, he's just tearing the beard off (laughs) the fish as it's in his mouth. Oh. I, I I did have some sort of like flashback that could have been one of us in university on a train on the way home trying to eat some form of kebab or something. Ah. <laughs> oh, uh. dropping a bit of kebab on the train tra- train carriage floor, and <laughs> yeah. just picking yeah. it up and eating it anyway. Oh, it, but like he he gets the beef as well, didn't he? I, I, I forgot about the the beef. I'm not being funny, right? I wouldn't be going anywhere near that fish. I'd just be, if you want to eat something, eat the beef. Oh, yeah. But like, his, his pockets must, it's like Bloody Mary Poppins handbag because he, get, he gets about like 12 bread rolls, sticks them in there first. <laughs> then, he, then he gets off like, you know, the 12 ounce steak or whatever it is, whacks that in the pockets. Yeah, it's just like never ending. It's like a three course meal. Something tells me he's not keeping that Santa Claus outfit though, is he? I mean, well, in, in fact, he was going to kill himself, so he's not thinking past that night. So, but you've got, you've got to sympathise with him with him in that scene because, like, obviously he's hit rock bottom, like you know, eating the salmon. But then, as soon as he gets off the bus, the dog walks past, pisses on him. Then it starts to rain, and he he tries to shoot himself, but even that doesn't work. Yeah, and it's just like, oh, I want to know how long it took them to get that dog to piss on him. My old dog, Sam. He used to piss on people if he stood still for like 30 seconds or more. So when I used to take him for a walk, if you stopped to talk to someone, you had to be really mindful like that he'd come over and just piss on you. He was, he was on terrible. you was the owner? Me, the um, the other guy. I, I I don't think he was like marking his territory. I just think he was lazy and went to the nearest Sounds thing. Sounds like an that asshole, but... Have <laughs> 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 Uh, he knew what he fuck. He knew what he was doing. Yeah, he, yeah, he probably was marking his territory. He's just like, yeah, I'm the boss around here. I'll pick I know, yeah, boss. pick my shit up. <laughs> I well, back in the day made where you, you didn't pick up. Oh, that's true. Up, yeah, which well, which is wrong because you know nowadays you do. But back in the day, we used to get white. Well, not wrong shit. by me, but wow. Uh, so do you want to move on to some changes? 
Well, I, we only spoke about two scenes. Oh, yeah, go on. Any, any more well, scenes? I've got another one. Yeah. Go uh, on. I really like Jamie Lee Curtis and Ackroyd outside the police station. When she kisses him? Yeah, when she's doing all that stuff and playing up and then... Yeah. Because when I watched it this time, that was... I I did like the scene and I, I laughed a couple of times, but I also thought, oh, maybe that's why she kind of believes him because Beeks set her up. Because she goes to point out his so-called mate, but Beeks isn't there, is he? No. no. So I, I try to come to terms with, oh, maybe she's seeing his side for now because she got paid by Ackroyd's supposed friend to kiss him as a laugh, but his mate isn't there anymore, so maybe she was set up. I, that's what, what I took it at as this time. Maybe I'm giving the film too much credit, but, you know. I've got, I've, I've just got a few, few, few little things. Um, John Landis uses, John Landis's use of the same font on opening credits, he uses it all the time. Um, in, in in every film, um, so right away you know you know it's you know it's one of his. Um, Eddie Murphy breaking the fourth wall, how mm. he how he's you know he he looks at when he when he's in the um, in the police car after being arrested, and obviously when when he's saying you know pork bellies to make bacon, there's in a bacon lettuce and to, and you know tomato sandwich. Um, yeah, he's got one of them in every, almost every film in, in the eighties, only. I think the only one he didn't have it in was uh, police. Uh, no, um, Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, the um, the running joke, the "See You Next Wednesday" film, the poster in Jamie Lee Curtis's bedroom. That's of that film. Hmm. I missed that. What, what's that? Sorry. The, you know the you know the "See You Next Wednesday" the film in that was in American Werewolf in London, the porn film that that that's shown. Oh, is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, it's um. <laughs> Yeah, there's a poster. I didn't notice the name of it, just how bad it was. Yeah, there's a the I think Adam mentioned it when we did American Werewolf in London, but um, yeah, there's a poster of the film in Jamie Lee Curtis's bedroom. What's the line in that? He's in, in the the guy walks in during the porn film, doesn't he? And he's oh, like, leave my missus alone, and she says something yeah. like, "I I know your missus," and he says, "Oh, sorry, love." Yeah, I I don't <laughs> I don't know you. Oh, yeah. sorry, love. That's it. <laughs> it's terrible. Oh, another cameo, um, Bo Diddley, the the famous famous musician. He's the pawnbroker. Yeah, who who, uh, who gets oh. uh, fifty dollars for the watch? Fifty bucks is fifty yeah. bucks. Yeah, so hot it's smoking. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, and I that, can't believe that, that watch cost seven grand that he got fifty bucks. <laughs> that's awful. That is bad. Um, Are you but, telling me he couldn't have gone to another pawn shop? Probably been the same. I mean, who, who who's who's going to serve him with like in that getup and everything? He probably stinks. Um, also, I, I really love the way Clarence Beeks talks talks to some people, like what like the like the scene where um where he realizes that they're trying to you know pull a fast one on him, and um those two um those two partners burst in in the room. And it's like I'll rip out your eyes and piss on your brain. So, yeah, I think I think Beeks is uh, I think Beeks is a good comedy character in this. Yeah. When that one, when he's on the phone, when he's on the phone, oh, yeah. and that woman comes up, and he just goes like, "Ah, fuck off." <laughs> uh, she's a bit annoying though. He's on the phone, yeah. clearly having a conversation. She's just like, um, I don't know, a foot away from him, just staring at him. Yeah, I'd be like, yeah. I also love his delivery of. When Jamie Lee Curtis comes in as the Austrian slash Swedish girl, and she thrusts her bosom into his face and says, "Will you help me with my? Will you help me with my rucksack?" And he and he just he's like he's looking at her boobs and he goes, "Oh yeah, sure." <laughs> <laughs> the the big thing for me, if I was to make any changes, um, would to tone down some of the racial stuff. Um, but we've already gone through that, so I'm not going to touch on it. Yeah, I, I think... were, right, okay, sorry. So in terms of the language, because I have got something to do with the blackface in a minute, right? In terms of the language, you're saying you would tone that down because I wouldn't tone it down because, as I've said before, I think it goes to their character. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I get that. I, 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 I just would tone it down. Just you know, in this day and age, and that you know, and that's what we're sort of talking about a little bit here. That if you had to make changes for now, and you were to maybe redo that film, you could do it that they are racist and homophobic, but you just don't need to use certain words. But you know, it's a film which was set in the eighties. I understand that that's the language that was used. I'm not like comfortable with it, but I accept it that it's all the time. Ev, you've mentioned it a couple of times that these days, before you watch a film on Netflix and whatever, sometimes there's a message that comes up beforehand. Yeah, it was the it was the same with same with me because I watched this on Sky, yeah. and the and it it immediately says this this film has. Um, like social depictions, which are which are of its time and are you know are unsuitable in in modern life, or also or something along those lines. Yeah. Can I can I just say that I do in part agree with you what you're saying about the language because it's supposed to be a comedy film, mm. and as but what I would say is as long as you're not using that language for comedic effect, then I personally don't mind it being used because, as I said, it highlights what type of people they are or what type of characters they are in the film. Yeah. Look, and, you know, there's people in this day and age that would still use language like that. We, yeah, well... Yeah, I, I, we probably know one or two of them. But, um, yeah, it's... It is what it is. It, it's just something, again, I, I just... I thought I would mention that if we... I, I would tone it down slightly, but still be able to highlight how racist and homophobic they are. Okay, so uh, while we're talking about it, then I'm going to get on to the blackface, right? Because I was texting you boys as I was watching it, and I didn't... The train part of the film, I don't understand for the most, right? I get that they're there to switch briefcases, okay? Mm. That setup and the way they do it, fine. I haven't got a problem with it. But... Not only does Dan Aykroyd not need to be in blackface, but he doesn't even need to be in the cabin. Yeah. And Meeks and Beeks knows Dan Aykroyd, the character. So why is he even... I don't understand why Dan Aykroyd is... Why why Winthorpe... Why they've concocted this plan. They've switched the briefcase. They've got this plan to switch the briefcases, but they think... Oh, we'll get Winthorpe in there as well. So mm. not only do they not need to have him in blackface, they don't even need to have him in that cabin. I, I have a whole issue with that entire scene anyway. I, I just don't understand why they need to do it. In, because the film is comical, but it just ramps up the comedy element during that, that section. It turns into an SNL sketch where... I don't know if they needed to dial up the comedy to 11 for that bit. So, you know, you've got Jamie Lee Curtis's character coming in as Swedish or Swiss or, or Swiss or whatever. She's, she's supposed to be yeah. Swedish, but she's dressed as an Austrian. Austrian, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you've got... Why is Coleman Irish? Is he Irish? In, he's British in real life, isn't he? As well, he's, yeah, he's, Welsh, he's Welsh, I think. Is he Welsh? Yeah, yeah, I think I was going to say... He, he's English. He, Oh, he's definitely oh. been in a Welsh film hmm. about like a, a Welsh Christmas or something like that. It's called. Um, but yeah, I just have a whole issue with that entire section or scene section, whatever. I just don't know why they needed to do it like they did. Why did they have to dial it up? And yeah, and the blackface just topped it off for me. Then, yeah, like you said, he he, he already knows what Winfolk looks like to a certain degree. I know he's only met her briefly, and she had a wig on. But he knows what Jamie Lee Curtis's character looks like as well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I just don't get it. Can I can I go on with what I was saying about the whole cabin sequence? Because it's not just Dan Aykroyd's character or the blackface. It's also they do the double switch. Mm. So they've already switched it once. They've got away with it. Then they switch again, and he notices. Now, I... I think I know why they've done the double switch. I think they wrote the double switch into the script because they had this joke about the fucking gorilla 
and they wanted an excuse to get Beaks into that cage with the gorilla. So they said, what if we do the double switch? Beaks notices the double switch. He takes all of these people in the cabin to somewhere different. Why he couldn't have just kept them in the cabin, I don't know. But he takes them to somewhere different where the gorilla is. Then you have Jim Belushi coming in in a gorilla costume. It's like this massive set piece that they only put in for one joke, which was Beaks getting anally raped by a gorilla, which I'm going to say, you know, I laughed. Right? I you, didn't see you can, I, you can think what you want of me, anyone listening, but I laughed, right? I laughed at that. It's just a, it's just a facial expression. That, yeah, uh, that's what I laughed at, the facial yeah. expression, yeah. And also the fact that everyone looking at the cage couldn't tell her that I was a guy in a costume. I was laughing at those people as well. Yeah. But you, you had this like 10 minute setup for one punchline. And you've got to argue, was the punchline worth it? Now, yeah, I laughed, but I wouldn't say the punchline was worth all that. It was 10 minutes of the film. The other thing is John Belushi's character, or John Belushi, is built quite early on in the opening credits as being in the film, mm. and he, he has a tiny, tiny part. I know, um, but but that entire section, I, 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 yeah, I think that's where the film falls down for me. Yeah, I am. I haven't got a problem. I haven't got a problem with the the plan to switch the briefcases. Right, I, that's fine. That's that sounds like a logical thing to do given where you want to go as Winthorpe and Valentine, you need that briefcase. So, yeah, switch the briefcases. But the way they go about it and then the added stuff on top just didn't make sense to me. So that, that section of the film, I, they, I think they could have done a much better job. And it also, it would have been shorter. They would have got... I, I don't know whether they thought because they'd gone through this whole film, they needed like this big set piece to sort of reward the audience for what the characters had been through to that point. But as I think we're all on the boat on the same boat here, that it just it didn't quite work. Yeah. I just, like I said earlier, I just think it's a it was too much of a switch in the level of comedy. The comedy mm. up to the point of the film is I was going to say subtle. It's not subtle, but it's not slapstick. And all mm. of a sudden, elements of what they started to do turned a little bit slapstick for me. You know, the the Swedish accent, the Irish accent, the the gorilla scene, and you mm. know the fact that neither gorilla looked like a bloody real gorilla. Gorilla, <laughs> gorilla with it. It's like Jesus Christ. But um, yeah, look. That that is it is what it is that part and we, we can't change it. But yeah, I think going going back to what you were saying about the about the language and stuff, I think for me for me I think it's it needs to be it, need, it needs to be left in there for Randolph and Mortimer because because like probably like you were saying this, it shows it shows their their sort of the way they've been brought up and and you know the characters that they are. I don't think Dan Aykroyd needed to use this. Yeah, but I I get what you're saying, but I think with Ackroyd, he uses it at the start, but then I think what they should have done is portrayed at the end that he was completely changed. Yeah. Did like, he use it at the start? I thought I thought it was only when he when he's in the bed and he wakes up and then goes oh, to strangle it and with Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That's it. Well, he's still entitled to that part, isn't he? Yeah, it's just I, I don't know. Oh, I actually, just... I, no, I, it's good that you brought that up, Beb, because you could argue that his character, despite everything he's been through, he still hasn't changed. No. So is that is that a failing of the writing? It could be. Mm. It can. It can be seen to be that way, can't it? Hmm. Unless, unless the point is, no, he's, st he's still a greedy bastard. So, and he's still entitled, and he still looks down on Valentine and people like Valentine. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? I got another change. I got a question. Actually, it's more than a change. Why is Eddie Murphy when wearing a woolly jumper on the beach? Oh yes, I was going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> 
It must it must be fucking about 35 degrees and he's in there with bloody, you know, cashmere proper wool, you know, the proper posh ones that you buy from Marks and Spencer's for about 50 quid. That thick don't you know, don't you know this rich people wear layers on a beach, but <laughs> Dan Ackroyd's got about 30 layers on the boat. And and uh Daniel yeah. Elliott has got about, you know, he's got a suit done. Yeah, but that's what that's a white suit though with a with a hat you can get you can, t- you can get away with that. Yeah. yeah. What, what do you guys think of that end scene? Not a lot. I I I, I again I think they could have done it better. And I, I I the only thing I like about it is that they still they still talk to Coleman in a way that he's the butler. So you think, oh, he's still a butler, but then Coleman actually has a butler. Yeah. So I think there's a little joke there that Coleman isn't the butler anymore. They just he's mm-hmm. they've actually got a different butler. But yeah, it's 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 just a way to button off the film, isn't it, to show that they were successful in what they did. Yeah, no, I get it. I just I don't know. I I, I I've always and it more so much more so watching it this time, just always have a bit of an issue with that end scene and feel like could have wrapped it up a bit more. Or it's a little uh, bit I, too false. Let's put it that way. Yeah, but I think there's a question of speed throughout the film, isn't it? About how things move on and wrap up. Because if you're talking about if you're talking about that, then Penelope gets over Dan Aykroyd very quickly, doesn't she? And she's supposed to be engaged to him. Well, and also um, Eddie Murphy, he learns about stocks and, tra- and shares and trading and things quite quickly, doesn't he? Oh, it, it feels like a day. Yeah. You know, Dan Aykroyd goes downhill within like, like 24 hours. That's what it feels like. And then he's he's a master trader within 24 hours. Mm. But like you said, it's the film. It's got to move on at a pace to fit everything in. So. And it's a comedy. And I don't think those particular aspects, you're supposed to think about them that much, yeah? Mm. Yeah, no, no, exactly. Uh, I have another... Um, it's not so much a change, but it's more of an observation. Jamie Lee Curtis. Very, very attractive lady. We've already said this. Yeah, she's twenty-five in this film. In real life, she's twenty-four. Her character ages, right? But why does she always look like ten years older than she really is? <laughs> it, ha- it happened in in Halloween as well. Don't you see? I, I, I think a lot of people, though, mm. in movies, they. They look ten years older than they are all the time, especially like up. And, I would say up until like the nineties. Yeah. Also, is this something to do with the short hair? A lot. No, actually, I do prefer Jamie Lee Curtis with the short hair. Well, I was going to mention this, right? I can't remember apart from Halloween, Jamie Lee Curtis with longer hair. She's is in the it, fog. Oh, I, I can't really remember that, but I'm thinking True Lies, short hair, Fish Called Wanda, short mm, hair. Yeah. Um, I became I it style, really, didn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah, she was very much known for it. Do you know if she was on, on a street corner as a prostitute, and I'm not casting aspersions here, guys, that you do this, but the wig that she wears as a prostitute doesn't make her more attractive. Let's put it that way. No, she looks miles better with the short hair. <laughs> when she takes the wig off, you're like, "Whoa, she looks nice." Yeah, yeah. With, with the wig, I it it makes her look like a fifty year old prostitute. And also the color choice of the wig as well. <laughs> Isn't it like red or something? It's, it's like a clown ginger. <laughs> clown ginger. Yeah, like a, you know the fake ginger. I I was just looking at a picture of it now. Yeah, it's proper like. 80s perm type. I was going to ask this, right? I Well, sorry, I wasn't going to ask this, but I'm going to ask you now. The dress code for prostitutes. Right? Yeah. I, I, I think I'm asking the wrong people here because I don't think any of us know this, right? We should be asking a couple of the other boys. Do they want to stand out? Or is it better that they don't stand out because then they won't get pulled over by the cops? I was going to say, it's two trains of thought, yeah. and they yeah. want to stand yeah. out with the clients, but at the same time, they don't want the police to pick them up. Because, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis in this film, the costume designer has made her look like a bloody pro. You know she's a prostitute when she's... Yeah. when she's. I mean, 
not only is she walking out of a police station, but, uh, you know, the dress... That I'm just thinking about the dress code for prostitutes in real life. I mean, w- wouldn't it be better that you dressed casually, you know, like jeans and a jacket or something, just so you police officers wouldn't know who you are? <laughs> but then, but then would they get the trade then, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I suppose most of them don't have to worry about that now. They've probably got their own website or whatever, I think. I just thought meant the visions of you writing a job description for a prostitute. Dress, dress code, slightly, you know, slightly tarty, but toned down a bit. Smart, that's, casual sort of thing. Can I just say now to all the female fans out there, that's the only thing I would do for a prostitute. Write <laughs> well, the right, job description. Write the job, yeah. Oh, right. I was wondering, I was wondering <laughs> what bit you went there. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, moving on. Any others? Are we moving yeah. on? <laughs> oh no! I've I've, 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 got a, done his, yeah. Yeah, I've I've got a few. Um, oh, the 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 singing scene in the squash club. Oh, what what a bunch of bastards! They oh, I want to know if anyone still does that. It's the way they look at each other as well, though. Isn't yeah, it? it's like yeah. oh, but oh, it's, yeah. it's cringe. Fuck off, did you see if I can? And then, and like and and it, with the with the with the woman afterwards, like when just before Winthorpe comes in, and like and I, I don't know if if she's putting this on to sound more posh and tough, but like she's she's got like a proper like you know proper posh tough like deep voice like uh, and I, she dropped the ball. Yeah, oh. I really hope that was a choice by the actress because I think that's a great choice. Yeah, oh, it's a good that's, choice, a, yeah. that's a comedy cho- That's a comedy voice, that isn't it? So I yeah. hope that I hope that she did it deliberately, or that the casting director saw that girl, heard her speak, and was like, "Yeah, she's she's saying mm-hmm. that line." Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Oh, uh, how did how did Winthorpe get the clothes that he's got on when he came out of the police station? Is it is it like a school thing where he goes in the in the lost property bin and just fishes out? you know, types of clothes. I, I read that as someone inside wanted his clothes and the only yeah. clothes were, were available were the, what that yeah. guy was yeah. wearing. So yeah. what was that guy, a pimp? Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the, pri- the, the doctor that comes out to, um, to treat Winthorpe, that's supposed to be Christmas Day. Yeah. yeah. How, how, much is, how much is he charging? Yeah. That's got to be, that's gotta be yeah, at least time. We all know someone who works on Christmas Day and they don't mind working Christmas Day because they know they can get a mint for it. Because mm. of the but overtime costs. At least treble time. Yeah, but he's private though. He's got to be... Oh, yeah. I reckon that was a, that was a, a thousand call-out charge, I was. It's all insurance anyway in there over there. Yeah. Um, You're probably pushing some prescription pills on him as well. <laughs> You you got you got a thing about eating some prescription pills, haven't you? No, I got a, I got a th- I got a thing about the American Health Service. Oh, uh, Ackroyd has the best smug look in the world when um oh. when he's when, when he gives the, yeah when he gives the um the the dollar to Eddie Murphy and he goes after you and he just looks back and that's the that's proper smug. Yeah. But last thing last thing for me is is. The actual trading floor scene at the start, at the at the end, where they actually make the money. I've probably I've probably watched this film close to, I say, a good thirty to forty times over over the the, the span of my life, and still I do not know how they make that money. I I think I know what they're doing is initially they're speculating and selling high, selling contracts high. But there's contracts they haven't yet got. Mm. And when the price goes to the lowest, that's when they buy the contracts so that then they can sell the ones that they said they were going to sell to begin with. So mm. what they're doing is they're selling high, buying low, and that's where they make mm. the money. Okay. Um, what I don't understand is how the Dukes lose everything. Well, they do the reverse. Yeah, but how do they lose everything? I don't know, but 
mm-hmm. you still surely have some like stock left or something. Well, I would imagine like if you even if you bought at the lowest and sold at the highest, you're still selling something. Or sorry, if you if you bought at the highest and sold at the lowest, you're still selling something. So you still have some sort of. Well, uh, and, that, they, and that's right. But they do you know when they meet the people from, I don't know who own the. It's the judge and stuff, isn't it? Yeah, and they say yeah. you know they're collecting on their debts and they say well, well we haven't got that so they they they're taking away their, their home and things so I, I I can sort of question it but I'm with Ev, I still don't understand it and I do yeah. a little bit of trading, and it it goes over my head. I think it's. They don't, uh, Wilson, the, the, the guy in the pit or whatever, he doesn't get to sell, does he? Because he can't, he can't get to them in time to sell. Because he, he buys up all the stock and everything. He buys as much as he can, but he's tr- he tries, he can't get to sell because he faints, doesn't he? Yeah. So, so he's pretty he probably Because they, they start buying as when the yeah. prices drop, really drop in. And because everyone else is in a panic, they want to sell to Winthorpe and Valentine. Uh, but I thought they, I thought they'd buy when the price is high, though, because because that's that's what you, that's what they tell Wilson at the, at the start. No, no, yeah, worry. sorry. So yeah, so yeah, so Wilson is buying at the highest. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's because he thinks it's going to go even higher when the crop report comes out. Yeah, because yeah. I think they're, the crop... they're trying to buy everything regardless of the price, aren't they? Mm. Yeah. yeah. To then they're sell to... because yeah. the price is going to be higher. Yeah, once the yeah. crop report comes out, they can then sell because it's going to go even higher. But what mm. happens is the crop report comes out and the price starts going down. So the Dukes panic and Wilson is trying to sell, but no one is buying his stuff. Mm. Okay. I just, I, I, I don't get, like, from, from, what you, from what you were saying just there about um, Winthorpe and Valentine, how they sell sell. At the at the higher price, they haven't they, at that point they haven't got anything to sell, have they? No, no. But this what they're doing is they buy in speculative contracts. So th- what they're doing mm. is they they buy in. No. Right, Winthorpe and Valentine are selling at the highest, but they're selling contracts that they haven't yet got. Right. When, okay. when they when they start buying at mm. the lowest price, they're actually buying the contracts that they said they would sell to begin with. Surely they can't do that though. No, you can't. That's what the tickets are for. Oh, okay. And that's why you only get a that's why you only get like a window to buy and sell stuff. Because mm. everything then that's on those tickets, you have to honour. I yeah, think that yeah. I think that's why the Dukes are then losing all their money, is because they've got yeah. all these ticket sheets, yeah, but they can't get rid of them. So in effect, their money is in these sheets that that are then worthless. That's how I understand it. Anyway, yeah. I could be completely wrong, but uh, feel feel free to to drop us a line if if that if that is right or if, it, or if it's wrong. You know, yeah, educate anybody, me, educate me, yeah. uh, educate me suddenly. But if that is right, it's taken me nearly forty years. Actually, break that out. If any of our four listeners are traders, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. uh, I got two questions for you. Well, one of them's more of a point. Coleman and Ophelia give over their life savings to Valentine and Winthorpe. I don't mm. think that was needed, especially when they're speculating on what could happen. I think given mm. that Coleman and Winthorpe, uh, uh, Coleman and Ophelia were helping them. I and they got the money off Meeks. Or they got Meeks's money off the Dukes. I think they could have just used that money. Mm. I don't know if it was necessary that Ophelia and Coleman used their money as well, but it paid off, so it doesn't matter. They're rich now as well. But mm. the one question I've got, and I I I struggled with it after watching this film this time, is is Winthorpe likable at all? Do you care? Because I cared about Valentine mm. and I cared about Ophelia and I cared about Coleman. But I think that's because of where they started in the film. 
Um, for me, I think I don't think he's likable. I think he is. I think he improves as a character. But the the question is, is whether he is just doing that to get his money back. Yeah, I mean, you don't know whether he's ultimately learned anything. You know, I mean, I know he's with Ophelia at the end, so you kind of think. So that gives the impression that he's changed because he's with her rather than he's with Penelope. But is he just with her because of circumstance? Yeah. Would he be with her if she hadn't won all that money? Yeah. Yeah. I would have because Penelope's annoying as fuck. Yeah, but she's a good-looking girl as well, Ev. Yeah, but it's she's... It's just it's just the annoyance and the and the the poshy toughness doesn't do it for me. Yeah, but there's always an intrigue with posh girls, though, isn't it? I'm not going to go any further. I'm just going to speculate that one sentence. Let's leave it there. Let's yeah. leave, and I'm going to end on a couple <laughs> of facts. So we always do budget. Budget was 15 million pound. It returned 90 million. So time six. Time. Mm, and when, um, when you think as well, right, that's on the back of Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd not anywhere near their peak. Well, Ed, this is more or less Eddie Murphy's film. I think it was John Landis or someone, or maybe someone in the studio, didn't even know who he was. Yeah. And they, so they had say, he, I think he'd, had he done 48 hours yet? I think 48 hours is, is in 84. I could be wrong on that. Yeah, because he was, I think he was still on, uh, no, 48 Hours was 82. That was his first okay. film. And then Trading Places came off the back of that. But Eddie Murphy was still on SNL at this time. Ah, right, okay. Um, the, the film or, or the script or the story was originally going to be a Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder um, film titled Black and White. So I um, <laughs> don't, don't know how that would have panned out, but. So let's move on to um, recommend. And would you recommend it, Ev? Yes. Yeah. I still watch it every every year because of the, you know, the the Christmas film. Um, on the boobs vibe. <laughs> well, it's an it's an added bonus. Yeah. Frog. I would. It does have its problems. Uh, I don't think it's as funny as I remember it, but there are certainly enough there's certainly enough in the film for me to enjoy it. So I would recommend. I'm a big fat yes. I considering I don't have many memories of it and I watched it the other day, I really, really enjoyed it. And take out the section of the train. And I think this is a very, very good movie, personally. Yeah. Um so yeah, like I said, big fat yes for me. So on that note, let's uh, let's wrap up. Podcasts come out every Wednesday. Check out our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, and also on YouTube. All right, cheers all.